All right, well, we are in chapter 11 of the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, the Lord completed His sermon in His instructions to the apostles as they are being sent out two by two for them to go out and perform miracles, to preach the word, to declare that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that Jesus was there and to teach. And now we're going to change subjects and we're going to watch a conversation between John the Baptist and Jesus that's going to be taking place by some intermediaries, some messengers in between. And we're going to see how that directly applies to us and our faith. And we're going to be looking at some misnomers, some misconceptions that we have with our faith in comparison. And before we open in a word of prayer, though, I'm going to continue my theme. I'm going to give us a little primer to get our juices flowing. And I want you to think that it's the middle of the night. You hear something outside. You can't ignore it. You get your robe on, whatever you do, you go outside. It is the middle of the night. It is so quiet out. There's no moon. It is so dark, pitch dark outside. And then finally, you lift your eyes up and you see the stars. You see the sky. You see it like you've never seen it before because it's finally dark enough for you to be able to see it all. And I want you to keep that in your mind as we go before the Lord in prayer and we start off this conversation with John the Baptist and the Lord. Father, we pray that you would continue to teach us and direct us through your word as you are so faithful to do. And I pray that today we're able to knock off maybe some of these misconceptions that are clinging to us, Lord, as we're able to navigate the difficulties of our life and our faith as you did with John the Baptist. And so we thank you in advance for the work you're going to do here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start verses 1 through 3 of chapter 11. Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now, Herod Antipas is in charge of this region because the Romans were using him as a puppet to keep everything under control. Herod had a relationship outside of his marriage, decided to take her as a wife, did some crazy things. John the Baptist isn't having that, so he confronts him. Herod has him arrested, thrown into a prison, prison, the Perean fortress of Macarius. I think that's how you say it. And he is stuck there. He can't get out. He's no longer continuing in his ministry. He's not out there baptizing people and the baptism of repentance. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between the believer's baptism and John the Baptist's baptism. This is a man that would look at the Pharisees and he would tell them that they needed to come down, repent, and be baptized as if they were Gentile non-believers and confess their sins. This is a powerful teacher and a preacher, and we know a prophet. And yet now, in this dungeon, in this prison, he is sending messengers to go ask Jesus, Are you the real deal? Are you the one that we're waiting for? Now, we know that John knows who Jesus is. If you remember earlier in this gospel and in the gospel of John, he says in verse 29, when he saw Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who was preferred before me, or he was, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water 
And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day that John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. I think John knows who he is. He knows that this is the Lamb of God. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is him. And yet now, removed from that ministry, put into the dungeon, he's questioning. He has doubt. He is doubting. If John the Baptist has doubt, rest assured you will have doubt. Doubt is a very real part of our faith, of our walk, and of our life. Now, we are told and we are warned not to doubt. The Bible tells us a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We, we are told that we should not doubt. But we're not told that we will never doubt. We're not told that we shouldn't doubt. What I mean by that seemingly contradictory term is that when we get to doubt, we are to go through the doubt, not to stay there. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about that in a little bit as we continue to look at different um, scenarios in Scripture where there's doubt. But we need to be careful that we don't deceive ourselves. And we need to know what to do with it. In James chapter 1, verse 26, it says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. That's when you look at your own doubts and you just ignore it. You don't even address it. And you just pretend that you have a robot-like faith at all times. Because that's what real Christians do. Real, sincere, great Christians have absolute faith all the time. They never doubt, and I'm never going to be a real Christian. That is not real. That is a misconception. And you're not even living your life if you don't have doubts and you're not questioning and you're not going through difficulty. John the Baptist is just one example. I want to give you a couple other examples. The second example is Peter, who in one moment sees Jesus walking on water to him and goes, wow, I'm going to do that. Lord, if you say I can, I can walk on water. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. But then he takes his eyes off the Lord and he looks around at the waves. And he begins to doubt. Let's be sincere here. Let's be real. Peter is having a perfectly logical conversation with himself. Ooh, he's walking on water. If he can do it, I can do it. Ooh, this is not physically possible to walk on water, what I'm doing right now. This is against all the laws of science and nature. This cannot happen. And he begins, and that's my question. You guys know how my brain works, so let's just put it in there. Does Peter's like slowly descend into the water or he's just like kaplunk like a dive? We don't know. But he is having a, per, a very rational conversation. You cannot walk on water. It is scientifically not possible. And when he realizes that, he begins to sink. But how does Jesus, ta- how does Jesus treat Peter? We're going to see in a minute. I didn't do that. What are you doing? Ah, phantom. It's all your fault. Just blame Tim. What's the other? Oh, man, you really skipped ahead. At least I can blame somebody else this time. It's Tyler's fault. 
Yeah, Tyler hasn't been here in months. All you guys that. There we go. Right here? No? This where I'm at? Nope. Past that? Okay. There we go. Right there. It just goes to show you I don't memorize these things. Third, so we had John the Baptist. He's doubting. We have Peter. He's doubting. Let's give another example. Thomas. Poor Thomas. Of all the doubters, he's the only one that gets labeled doubting Thomas. But everybody's doubting here, so I don't know why he gets it. But after the Lord's resurrection, Jesus appears to the apostles, except Thomas is probably the only one out working, having a job or something. I don't know. He's not there. He comes back, and they're all telling him that they saw Jesus. And what does he say? Unless I put my hand, my fingers in his hands, my hand in his side, unless I touch his wounds, I will not believe. Listen, this is a, again, another example, a, per, a very rational logical conversation. If you hear somebody say, hey, Uncle Tim, you know we went to his funeral last week? We put his body in the grave. Yeah, I had pizza with him the other night. He came back. You better say, unless I see this for myself, I am not going to believe you. Why? Because it's rational. People don't come back from the dead. It's a pretty big deal. And Thomas has this rational conversation, and yet he's labeled as the doubter. You mean he's labeled as the realist? And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with these doubters because we want to put that on our own faith because you will have doubts. You will go through valleys, and you will have difficulties. It's what do we do with it that matters. So let's go back to Peter. How does Jesus treat Peter, who's walking on the water by faith and then suddenly is drowning? Oh, that's what you get. You, don't, you didn't have enough faith. If you just had enough faith, Peter, this wouldn't have been happening to you. We're going to waterboard you for a little while until you get this right. No, that's not how Jesus treats Peter. What happens in Matthew 14, 31? Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O ye little faith, why do you doubt? I don't know, because he's a rational human being. Of course he knows why he doubts. But he's assuring him. You see, John the Baptist has doubts and is sending messengers. And we're going to see what the Lord says back. Peter begins to drown, and it's one of the most beautiful prayers in all the Bible. What does he say? Lord, help. And that's when he immediately answers and plucks him out. Oh, poor thing. I'm right here. Why did you doubt me? I'm right here. We're going to see how he treats Thomas in a little while. You see, we have a problem. The problem is that many Christians believe that God can't operate without faith. And somehow, it's like all the stupid Santa Claus movies. You know, like that theological classic, Elf. And Santa somehow, the sleigh's not riding because we don't believe. And if we just sing Kumbaya, hold hands, and just, we believe in Jesus, then things will happen. Nothing could be further from the truth. God does not need us one bit. He is in absolute control of all things. Everything exists because of him. And he sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. But unfortunately, there's too many believers that think that his strength is reliant on you. Like somehow our faith is his kryptonite. And if you don't have enough faith and you doubt, he's somehow weakened. He is not weakened by anything. And I'll give you a scriptural example. There's a man who has a son from his youth who is throwing down on the ground, he's foaming at the mouth, he's going through epileptic shocks, it seems like. We know he's possessed by a demon, but is it like the other injuries and issues with it as well? We don't know. 
And he brings his son to the Lord, and he is begging the Lord to heal him. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Okay, so he just has to believe. If he just believes, kumbaya, oh man, I just, I really, I really believe. But he has the most realistic human answer that we all should have when it's true. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is real. I want to believe, I want you to heal, but I don't. I, I don't. Just help me with that. John the Baptist asked for help. Peter asked for help. This man asked for help. What does Jesus do? Oh, you were so close, you almost believed me. Maybe I'll half heal him. I'll give you a week to think about it. No, the scripture says when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to a deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. He doesn't even answer the father. He just doesn't. Because he can do whatever he wants. John, the Baptist, not only is he not going to be rebuked, he's going to receive an answer that maybe is going to be a little difficult for us to understand. And I want to point something out, though, before we continue. It's this. What does John the Baptist think of himself and his faith while he's in that dungeon? He's doubting the Lord. He's sending his messengers. And regardless of this answer, how does he see himself? And then I want you to think about this. What does God think of John the Baptist? What does Jesus think of him? I mean, he declared that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that was coming to be greater than him. It was John the Baptist who said, he must increase and I must decrease. And now he's saying, hey, are you the real deal? What does Jesus think about him? That's going to be important as we continue. But this is how the Lord responds to John the Baptist. It's in verses 4 through 6 now in chapter 11. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus does not rebuke him. He doesn't say, oh, ye of little faith. He doesn't say, why do you doubt? Oh, you, you're so dumb. You've been so good for so long, and now you really stumbled. No, Jesus doesn't do any of these things. What does Jesus do? He gives him evidence. He sends evidence back. Hey, I want you to go talk to John the Baptist. I want you to lecture him about how he has to have good faith, and if he has really, really, really good faith, things will work out for him. No, he gives him evidence. John the Baptist doubts, and he does what all of us do or should be doing when we doubt. Ask for evidence. Seek the Lord. See, we're not called to never doubt. We're called to not stay in doubt. We need to reach out and find the answers. This entire book has been criticized as long as it has existed, and it is full of evidence. All of creation is full of evidence of God's existence. God doesn't want us to have blind faith. He gives us very real evidences to prove to us that He is true. We have this misnomer that we are somehow supposed to be religious brainwashed fanatics to never ask questions. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
Uh, I think of a suicide bomber. What goes through their mind? What are they thinking? Oh, they have to do these things and this thing will happen. And many critics will look at us and say that we have the same kind of faith. That's not the faith that God wants us to have. We are to ask questions. You should seek. You should go out. Because what is true is true whether you believe it or not. If something is a fact, if it is true, whether you believe it or not, it is what it is. Let's get into a little controversy for a little bit, but you know, you've got flat earthers out there. It doesn't matter what they believe. The earth is either round and a globe, a sphere, or it is flat. And regardless of what anyone thinks, it is one of the two. There is no controversy. It's a sphere. Don't get, all, don't get excited, some of you guys. It's, it's a fact. You can believe whatever you want. Well, if God is God and Jesus is the Messiah and the only way of salvation, then it is a fact whether we believe it or not. And we should be able to seek out through evidence that he has left us that it is true. But then that evidence leads us to faith. Subject of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. There is a place where we don't have evidence. But we are called to ask those questions, to seek them out. And he will give us the evidence and none of these responses does he say, just shut up and believe what I say. That's what I would say if I were in charge. I mean, if I were Jesus and John the Baptist sent some messengers, my arrogant, ignorant, angry self, prideful, I'd be like, do you know who you're talking to? No, not the Lord. He says, tell him this is what's happening. Let's look at that third example. You know, we're, we're talking about John the Baptist now. We, we talked about Peter. What about our good old friend, Doubting Thomas? How does the Lord respond to this? Thomas goes around for eight days saying, I don't believe anything you guys are saying. Now, again, let's go back to my weird brain for a second. In those eight days, if I'm one of the other 10 apostles, I am going to be making fun of him so hard. When Jesus shows up, I'm going to tell you I told you so. You better believe me. And Thomas is like, you guys are so dumb. You're playing a trick on me. There's no way. This isn't real. People don't come back from the dead. Yes, he does. I saw him. He was real. I, if I, unless I put my hand in his side. Oh, when he gets back, he's going to be so mad, Thomas. You know, he told us he was going to do this. Well, what does happen? In John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's not very nice. That's not very faithful. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut. That means he just appeared. And he said, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand in here and put into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. We're going to pause there for a minute. Jesus' answer is not, O ye of little faith. Come on over here. Put your hand in here. Evidence. The Lord returns with evidence. And when 
not if, when we come into these valleys, these dark places, and you step outside in your faith and it's quiet, you're not hearing anything, it's dark, you're questioning everything, you finally have the opportunity to lift your eyes and see the beauty, to see the stars, to see his creation, to ask him questions, and he will show you evidence. We're never called to ignorance. We're never called to blind, ignorant faith. When we come to those places, we need to be seeking and searching and asking. Because if he is who he says he is, and he is, the evidence will be there, regardless of how you feel. And this is important because when, Peter, when, excuse me, when Thomas touches his side, he grows from it. My Lord and my God. It says here in the scripture, he no longer says you're my teacher. He no longer says you're a great person. He doesn't say you're a miracle worker. He is now accepting that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Why? Because he questioned, he doubted, and Jesus proved by showing him his side that he is real. You see, our doubt should leave us to growth. Here it says in verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Trumpet, are we going? No. Jesus doesn't rebuke John the Baptist. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas. But these places of doubt should lead us to great growth. Thomas now has growth. Wow. I came into this not believing. I knew that he was a good teacher, but I didn't know he was the Messiah. Now I know he's God in the flesh. How did he get there? Through doubt. Peter steps out of that boat in faith. He has great doubt. He begins to drown. He has great growth. He knows that Jesus will save him, and it's not his faith that will do that work. It's the Lord. John the Baptist is in a prison. He can't escape. He can't fulfill that message. He asks for evidence. The Lord gives him evidence. Tell him this. I want you to imagine that you're John the Baptist and you're in that cell and somehow, I don't know if the disciples of John are able to speak through the bars. Do they have to bribe a guard? Do they have to put a message in the bread and serve it to him? I don't know. But somehow you receive this message. What Jesus says here in verse 4, go and tell John these things. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. I want you to hear what that sounds like, how refreshing that is. And then I want you to think, is he even more sad now or is he excited? Like, is he sad that he doubted or is he excited because he knows it's true? I, I, I guess it's both. We have no idea. But when you come to these places of great doubt, don't stay there. Ask, seek, find, and you can have great growth through it. I've told this story a million times, but it's still true. When I became a believer, I started preaching the gospel to everybody that, that moved. I had to share with them what had happened to me. It was such a radical change. I, I was even doing it at work, which I don't recommend. You're getting paid to work. You're not getting paid to preach. What you should do is give them your phone number, say, hey, you want to have coffee afterward, my treat? I'd love to tell you about something. And you could do it afterwards. But I didn't follow that advice. And I'm in a customer's home. 
and we're having a presentation. Just a nice old lady, literally in her living room. She's literally in a rocking chair. You can't make this up. And I'm just spewing out, this is what happened to me. This is what's going on. This is my life. You're telling me I look happy. I'm so happy, let me tell you. And she's just, oof, she's just got the rope out there, and she's letting me take it. And then she starts asking me questions, and she's just leading me on. Then she starts opening her Bible. Then she starts quoting scriptures at me, and I'm leaving this place. I'm not even sure I am saved. Because I wasn't baptized in her church. I didn't do things her way. And she's giving me scriptures. And I'm like, I never heard that scripture before. Because I literally hadn't heard that scripture before. And I left there with great doubt. And so it's the old days. The cell phones had just come out. I got that 1990s, early 2000s cell phone. Clack, 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 clack. Speed dial outside. Pastor Mark, I need to talk to you for a minute. And he gets his Bible out and we're talking, he's sharing with me. Well, after that moment of great doubt came great growth because I questioned, is this real? Is this not? I was able to learn about the cult that she was a part of. I was able to learn about new scriptures. I was able to logically address those questions and have very real answers. And I left that situation with great growth. You question yourself and when you get to these places of doubt, too many Christians are shipwrecked because they feel condemned, they feel like there's no way out, they feel like they let the Lord down, and everything depends on you, and now you failed. Instead, you should be leaving that situation with greater growth, encouragement, as you examine very real evidence. And here John the Baptist hears these words, and that's going to lead us to that next subject that I was talking to you about. What does Jesus think about John the Baptist? John the Baptist may have felt defeated or excited, we don't know, but he was in this moment of great doubt, and he sends word, he hears these messengers, and he's encouraged. Jesus must think, man, John the Baptist, he was so good for a little while there, but he really petered out there at the end. Yeah, he was a really good guy, but, you know, he kind of lost his way a little bit. Well, this is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. In verse 7, back in chapter 11, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. This isn't the same guy, right? I mean, this can't be the same guy. Jesus is saying not only is this man a prophet, he's a strong prophet. He is a strong, powerful prophet. He is my prophet who prepared the way for me to come. That's how Jesus sees John the Baptist. We look at John the Baptist in this situation, we're like, ah, man, he almost had it. That's not how Jesus sees him. This John the Baptist, he is a strong warrior for Christ. For me, and he goes out there and he teaches, and that should be encouraging to us that God doesn't see you the way that you see yourself oftentimes. That you may see yourself in the lowest of the lowest valley, ready to call in, the, in and quit. And he does the work, not you. How did you earn this position of favor with God? It's by grace alone, through faith alone, by his work. And so that should be encouraging to us. And when we are in those dark places, we need to be asking and seeking after him, receiving that evidence. He'll show you the evidence, especially here in the 21st century. 
In the 21st century, you could leave your seat right now, go into the parking lot, open up your phone, and get a PhD in apologetics just by simply typing in your questions and looking for the answers. The evidence is there. We need to remember, like Thomas. Remember, Thomas asked for evidence, and what did Jesus do? He said to Thomas, reach your finger in here. And look at my hands and reach your hand in here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. But what do we do? Oftentimes we drift away from the Lord. We need to, however, go to Him. And then we need to go hard, like John the Baptist went hard. So you need to leave that position of doubt, strengthened and encouraged, equipped with that evidence, and then go hard in the faith. Not lukewarm. You can't be double-minded. You can't just say, well, you know, I almost did it and then I messed up, so now I'm on the B team now. That's not how it works. Jesus says in, Rome, in Revelation 3.16, because you are lukewarm, speaking to the church, neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Just stop it. Stop it. Go all in. You hit a rut. You hit a valley. You hit those questions. You hit a rough patch. Jesus, he's quoting from Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 40, saying how important John the Baptist is. Let's see what he says in verses 11 through 15 about John. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I know some of you guys, you're like me, you saw the kingdom comes by violence, you said, where do I sign up? That's not what it means, Ben, calm down. What he is saying is that this violence means power. It means that the power of light over darkness. So the, G, Satan had complete stranglehold on the world, and Jesus has come. He is bringing that light, and he is the light of the world. And that light takes that space from the darkness. It takes it back. He's going to redeem it. And so the kingdom's going to overcome through violence to his work from that darkness. And that's what he does. But he uses us. See, we don't do that work his light is in us. His work is in us, and it pushes it back. But I want to roll back to here where it says that not only is John the Baptist his prophet, the man who just questioned him, the man who needed some evidence, the man who is in a prison questioning everything, how does John, Jesus look at him in those moments? This is the greatest prophet who has ever lived. That's how Jesus sees John the Baptist. John the Baptist may be crying and depressed. He may be weak. He may be in the lowest moment of his life, but Jesus sees him as the greatest prophet who has ever lived. I don't know how he sees you, but oftentimes he sees you not as you see yourself. Maybe you think you're better than you are, like a Pharisee, and he says, oh, whitewashed tombs. Maybe you're in the lowest point right now, and he sees greatness. I don't know. But he is calling us not to ignorance, not to a blind, ignorant faith, but he is calling us to walk through these valleys, ask these questions, and then see that beauty, to look up 
in those dark places and to grow from it and to be used by him. And that's why I can say in Romans chapter 10, 15 to all of us to go hard, to go out of that valley with boldness because it says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Jesus used doubters. He used John the Baptist. He used Peter. He used Thomas. He used the other apostles to go out and spread the gospel. And he wants to use us. Question, seek, be a seeker. Because if he is the truth, and he is, it will stand on its own, regardless of how you feel. And then you can be used in your workplace, in your family, in your life, in others, to go and spread that truth to others. And they can examine, and they can seek on their own. We need to get rid of a lot of these misnomers and fallacies that somehow the kingdom of God is dependent only on our faith. God operates through faith. Yes, he does, but he is not limited by it in the slightest. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be growing in you, and we thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And we pray that you would continue to encourage us to examine the evidence and to grow in you. We thank you that your perception of us is not based often on our own feelings of ourselves, Lord. We pray that as we leave here today, we'd be encouraged, encouraged in the dark places and in the bright places, in our high valley, our high mountains and our lowest valleys, Lord. Thanking you that you are there and that you are true and that you reveal to us to yourself. We thank you and we praise you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you need prayer or encouragement, we're up here, brothers and sisters up here to pray with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.